When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome into something we are very, very excited about, the Sooner Sports Podcast. We're still working on a name, so bear with us, but for now, it's the Sooner Sports Podcast with Jess and Meg. I'm Jessica Cootie. She's Meg McDonald, and uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit more creative as we go along with the name. Hopefully we can work on a better name. If you guys have any suggestions, all six of you, please tweet at us. Let us know. Mom, hey, tweet me a name. <laughs> no, but so, uh, you know, this is something we're really excited about. It's it's to go along in conjunction with what Chris Plank has already done. An awesome job starting the um, Sooner Sports podcast. He drops podcasts on uh, Monday and Friday with Toby Rowland. And, you know, he does some cool stuff throughout football season. And so we're, we're excited to join the lineup on Wednesdays, every Wednesday. We're going to have a, a podcast coming out for you. And kind of had this idea a little bit um you know we both get to work with uh the a lot of the teams here on campus and you know a lot of times we'll sit in our office we share an office she's a pretty good roommate I, I guess I'm probably oh, I appreciate that you're, you're a little bit cleaner than me my <laughs> desk is always just well you basically wreck. live here you have blankets and like slippers like my you glasses actually, yeah. contact solution toothpaste toothbrush yes. a full thing of makeup <laughs> Yeah, Complete mirrors. new set of makeup and a curling iron. So, and I have a nice desk. Uh, you do, you <laughs> do. But um, we we always have these conversations, you know, whether we're doing features or something that might have come up with a big game or a hot topic. And 
um, you know, society. And we have these long conversations and it's kind of been a cool thing. And then, you know, then we get to talk each week with these awesome coaches. I mean, you talk about, you know, the trio that are about to be all be in season together with KJ Kendler, Sherry Cole and Patty Gasso. And I, I just don't know if there's a more influential or prominent trio of women's coaches in the country. I 100 percent can't think of one. Yeah. I mean, the lineup we have here is insane. With what they do for their sports in their sports worlds, right. they're very well respected. And beyond just Norman, Oklahoma, I mean, you got two Hall of Famers already, and no doubt KJ Kendler's going to join them. So, um, you know, that's what we decided to go with today. And our first one is kind of introducing you to a little bit of their backgrounds of, of how they got here. But, um, you know, speaking of backgrounds, first we wanted to kind of give you a little bit about us and kind of where this why we are the people that you're listening to right now in the first place again all six of you my mom meg's mom we appreciate your uh support and chris plank and <laughs> so um but no i've this is my sixth season here at the university of oklahoma i'm oklahoma born and raised my family sooner fans growing up uh, my dad always a huge oklahoma fan so this has really been kind of a you know awesome for me because i get to share this with my family but you know i i you know, feature reporter, that's kind of my main thing is uh, I do features every single week, but then it's kind of evolved, you know, throughout the years of um, covering these teams, get to do sideline reporting and hosting and all of that. So uh, jobs really evolve throughout this. But, you know, again, I cover just about um, every sport, football, really um, dive in on that, all, really all year long, spring football, um, and then throughout preseason and then throughout the season. Awesome. This was a great year this year, by the way. And then dive right into men's and women's basketball and then I'll do baseball and softball and then Meg you kind of give us your lineup your rundown I do everything else (laughs) (laughs) all the other sports that Jess didn't mention I uh, report on those so also do some feature type work uh, sideline I was a D1 athlete at Iowa State I was a gymnast so I'm from Virginia so I don't have this whole Oklahoma background unfortunately I'm a apologizing to all the listeners that are from Oklahoma. Um, I'm essentially a trader in the Big 12. Went That's to Iowa okay. State. <laughs> they all do. They they all want to come to Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, it appears that way. <laughs> Which, I mean, why wouldn't you? This is, in my opinion, the best Big 12 school. So, yeah, no, I do a little bit of everything as well. And, yeah, it's been fun. This is my second season, so I also haven't been here as long as Jess. Okay, so follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Jessica Cootie. I think I'm the only Jessica Cootie on the planet. Actually, I think there's one other Jessica Cootie, but I'm the only one without any fancy things to go along with it. Meg had to make things complicated on us. She's at Meg, two underscores. So Meg, M-E-G, underscore, underscore, McDonald, M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. Follow us at OU on the air, at OU underscore athletics. Uh, we'll have lots of stuff coming out on um, you know those, those social media accounts on Instagram as well. I'm the same, at Jessica Cootie, Meg. There's like a million Meg McDonald's so, in this world. So follow so. me, and then you can look where I've tagged Meg. Yeah, none perfect. of us know where to find <laughs> Meg. So, um, yeah, follow us on social media. We'd love to get your input. Maybe you have ideas for us, who you want to hear from here at OU. Maybe some uh, questions, some, questions mm-hmm. some topics, some stories that you want us to explore. We're all about it. Want to hear feedback. Uh, we love to hear from you guys, so let us know. We're excited about this. This is our first one, so bear with us. We're um, going to get better, we yeah, promise. So, um, yeah, we're, we're just kind of enjoying kind of 
we just diving in full uh, force this week. And, you know, again, going back to what we decided to start this with is, um, you know, those three coaches. I mean, I don't know if there are three um, three better people that we could have chosen to start with just because their stories are so great and they're such good storytellers and you you hear about their backgrounds. You you watch them all the time. You watch them win national titles. You watch them. You're in Cherry Cole go to NCAA tournament after NCAA tournament. But sometimes you you lose on, in the X's and O's the kind of storylines behind those and how what got them here. Their inspirations behind it all. Because you know I for one grew up an OU fan and, and following Sherry Cole's program. So you know she's someone that has inspired me for a long time. And then you get here and you work here within these. Um, you know, with these teams, and then you find that you're inspired by a lot of people here. And so the same way that they've inspired people, we thought we'd find out who inspired them. And Sherry Cole is the best storyteller I have ever met in my right? life. It's almost intimidating how yeah. well she speaks. How I mean, she's so well-read, you can tell that she yeah. has a writing background. And she reads, I mean, she's incredible. Her interview was it might be the coolest interview I've ever been a part of. Yeah, it was. It's it's like that when you get to actually sit down and, um, you know, get to do that with Sherry a lot when we do features, and so you'll hear her tell stories, and and it's, it really is. It's really cool to hear, um, you know, her kind of take on things and you know the the different spins that she has like we we talked to her a little bit about the play for k game that's coming up and so the, your her input on that is just i think it's you're going to hear a lot of things here that that you might have never heard before and so you know we're not only opening it up to the coaches but then we're also hoping to involve some really awesome women that work here at the OU athletics department and even beyond that the the men and and we're, we're kind of um, not limiting to that, but we do want to put a highlight and a focus on on the women that are uh, around and, and the great things that they're doing. So we've got Sherry Cole coming up for you. we got Patty Gasso coming up for you. And then we're going to check in with KJ Kindler. So let's start things off with Sherry Cole in her 22nd season. And, man, what great things she's done here at the University of Oklahoma. Here's how it all got started for her. Hey, bounce the corner. Here's Gabby for her fifth as the lights go out. And she hits the three at the buzzer, and she did it in the dark. Well, I think if you would have told my 14, 15, 16-year-old self that I was going to be sitting down doing a podcast with uh, Sherry Cole, I might have fainted. Uh, first of all, I would have asked, what the heck is a podcast? But then uh, <laughs> I uh, definitely would have been, you had to have, had to have pinched me. Because I think like a lot of Oklahoma kids... You know, I think that's what's cool about, um, you know, even when you have these young players come in like Ana Yanusa and, and throughout the years you have these Oklahoma kids come in. And it's always the same message about how, you know, this was the team that you wanted to watch play. This was the team that you wanted to play for. And this is the team that your favorite player played for. So um, it was super special for me to get to cover it. But then I think it's cool how it's maintained that that kind of um, level of appreciation for your program throughout so many different years and so many generations of players um, so I think that's where we thought it would be cool to start with on this podcast, our very first podcast, is kind of talking about how obviously you've inspired so many people, but who inspired you the most, you know, in, in your career when you thought, okay, I'm going to get into coaching, maybe you have one or two people, but who was probably the most influential person when you wanted to get into this? Well, thanks for all that first, Jess. I really appreciate that. And I know there was a subtle uh, shout out to Stacey Dales there and all that you were saying as I know uh, how much <laughs> you revered fan. her. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she appreciates that. Um, 
growing up in Healton, Oklahoma, um, Mary Patton was my fifth grade basketball coach, and I thought she was the coolest person on the planet. She ended up moving up uh, as sort of as I moved up at Healton High School, and she became my high school basketball coach. And um, I just thought, this is somebody I want to have a life like. You know, she was married, had a couple of kids, taught English, uh, coached basketball, and uh, was just very confident and sure of herself and yet compassionate and all those things that I appreciated as a as a young kid growing up and I thought I want to be that for other kids that what a great way to spend your life and so she was the first that inspired me uh, without a doubt but there have been many others since. Yeah I'm a big fan of Stacey Dells for all of you guys listening. <laughs> I about uh, peed my pants when I got to interview her when she came to get her jersey retired coach was kind of laughing but that that was the person for me and it's funny now Anna it says that about Courtney Paris you know and that's what I say and throughout the years everybody the players might change but the the sentiments for this program is the same I'm always curious coach as a kid you no one's really good, great at their sport so what was kind of that aha moment where not only do I like playing but I need to be playing basketball Oh, that's, um, that's a great question, and it's a fairly easy answer for me <laughs> because I uh, went to a little basketball camp. I, I was so fortunate to grow up in a really small town where everybody treats you as their own. There were a couple of high school girls who took me to a little basketball camp just uh, outside of Ardmore. It's just a little day camp that we went to, and I didn't even know what a basketball was at that time. I was in elementary school. No one in my family had really played, and it was pretty easy for me. And I remember um, getting a basketball and figuring out that I didn't need anybody to help me get better at that craft. Mm-hmm. I could do it outside on the sidewalk. I could go to the outdoor goals at the elementary school and shoot. I didn't need anything. I played softball, but I needed somebody to catch or I needed somebody to throw it to me. And uh, basketball was this thing where I could go and get rapid improvement and rapid feedback um, personally just by working with the ball. And uh, I loved that. I loved that sense of accomplishment where I could feel myself getting better. And, and naturally, it just it, it was it came pretty easy to be able to dribble and handle the basketball. And so, obviously, we fall in love with things that we can do well. What about your IQ for the game? Because, you know, as a point guard, that's one thing when we were putting the documentary together on you, every person that we talked about talked about how – knowledgeable you are and how you were just always hungry for that knowledge do you feel like that was something that that hunger for it kind of um you know constantly searching for it or was it something maybe natural a little bit or or was it throughout the years when do you feel like at one point like that click that you you understood the game in a way that maybe a lot of people don't well I think that first of all it comes from a natural curiosity which I think is sometimes in your DNA, but it's also fostered with your family mm-hmm. that anything that I wanted to know about, um, my family helped me try to figure it out. There were not roadblocks or walls that you ran into. If something didn't make sense, we would discuss it. If I wanted more information about something that would help me find it, many trips to the library when I was a little kid, just trying to figure out about different things. So I had this natural curiosity, I guess, uh, which I think fuels point guard play. Um, I, the best point guards probe, and that's really what natural curiosity is. You just probe and probe and probe to get information to know what to do next. But I do think, too, that um, there's a little bit of natural instinct that comes in what you see as you play. And um, 
for whatever reason, I, I had the ability to see the guy who was going to be open before he was open and understood angles and space. And I think that's sometimes uh, a little bit innate. And then, of course, it's fostered by the people you play with and how often you play and by the coaches you get and any number of other things. You still have that same thirst for that knowledge. I feel like I've talked to you a few times about you watch – men's basketball games all the time you watch other games all the time so um how important has that been for you to continue to maintain that that thirst and and do you how much do you enjoy kind of the learning part of it still to this day I never even think about it Jess I never I never think about it in terms of it's something I need to do or it's important to do it is my passion I when I go home at night I have my computer and my game film out and I'm also checking to see who's playing <laughs> and I want to watch a game I just I I love the sport of basketball I love the intricacies I love the teamwork that's involved I love the selflessness that's involved um, I love the the many different things that can occur every time the ball moves it's just an extrapolation of how much you're willing to imagine and follow uh, the lines of your imagination, so many things are possible. And I just think that that's a – there's never an end, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's probably what draws me to it. There, it's just a, a continuous cycle of you can always get better, you can always see more, you can always do a little bit better. I want to keep going on that. How do you keep growing? I mean, you've been – basketball has been your life since you were a kid. So how do you maintain that want and that need to keep growing every single year? Well, again, I think um, there's always so much more to figure out. There's there's so many levels to it, and and just a part of it. The part we're talking about is the the X and O part, and you know when this guy goes this way and this guy goes this way, then what happens? And and those things sort of um, become a little bit like fashion trends sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's in for a while, and then it goes out for a while, and then it comes back and presents itself, and there's sort of a new version. And I've been around long enough to see things be vogue and go out and come back and uh, be flavored differently, and um, that that's one part of it. The terminology is another part of it. I think there's a whole um, science along with what words do you use to make things stick with players. Um, that... Uh, that verbal component that accompanies teaching is uh, fascinating to me. I can never learn enough about that. And then the, the science of people. I mean, that's really what it is. Basketball is such a difficult game because it's five guys who have to move seamlessly together against five other guys who are fighting desperately to keep that seamless movement from happening. So there's this never-ending um, array of situations that you can learn and improve upon. And so it's a science of, of human development and human interaction and human communication and all those things. And, and I don't think anybody has all the answers to that, nor will they ever. So you just continue to learn and grow, and it's easy. It, it, the sport presents it itself naturally. What about once you kind of got into coaching, whether, you know, that was at the high school level or once you started here, who were some of the people that really shaped how you kind of developed as a coach at this level? Well, certainly Dan Hayes. I, I went to college at Oklahoma Christian as an Oklahoma kid who had played six-on-six -six high school basketball. Hmm. So I was a forward who scored and then guarded people back to the half-court line. And um, I was going to college to play five-on-five, five, and I had to learn how to play defense first and foremost. So I put myself in cage camp in the summer with the boys, and I was a, a high school graduate getting ready to go into my freshman year of college, and I was going through camp drills with ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade boys trying to learn how to play defense. Mm -hmm. And so Dan Hayes was a, uh, just – 
he built my entire fundamental foundation of this game from core skill sets to offensive spacing to uh, defensive rotation and everything about it I learned from him. Uh, Don Meyer Disciple, who I was fortunate enough to get to know and become good friends with and spend quality time with while he was living. And, of course, Coach Hayes' philosophy very closely aligned with Coach Meyer's as they were close friends as well. So that's sort of the basis of it. Um, I would say I was raised on a, a Bobby Knight um, defensive philosophy, uh, just the basic fundamentals of how you guard people. And, and I would say the same about his motion offense, what, what good spacing is and what good ball movement is. So um, those are just a few of the, mm-hmm. the influences early on. And then as I got this job at this level, um, Gino Ariema has been a dear friend for – couple of decades uh, that ages us both to think about that goodness gracious um but um his ability to um push the buttons of his players and get the most out of them and create extraordinary team chemistry and extraordinary environments of excellence I've learned so much from him and uh, a long list of coaches from other sports who do the same sorts of thing in their own area of expertise um, because I really do think that that's that's the that's the real key to success at this level as a basketball coach is how you get those people to uh, bring their very best every day and connect their best to their teammates' best. And you can learn that from baseball coaches and football coaches at any level. It's funny you talk about six on six. My mom played six on six, and she was a guard, and she's the worst looking shot I've ever seen in my life. Like they, you just didn't do it. Like if you played one, you didn't really play the other. So it's funny that you defense defense became such a passion of yours when it wasn't really something that maybe you probably focused on. Well, all I knew how to do was guard the ball. You mm-hmm. know, the, they would advance the ball from the baseline to half court, and I knew how to get down in a stance and turn the dribbler and and really dog the basketball. But I didn't know anything about rotating and helping and helping the helper and closing out and all those things that are you know just like breathing to our teams now and so I had to learn them at 18 and so when I get 18 year olds at the University of Oklahoma and they don't know any of that I can go right where they are and my expectation for them is immense because I know what it feels like to come in and not understand any of that mm-hmm. and have to figure it out and be good at it. And it is possible. And uh, so, so I think maybe, um, you know, when you're a, an adult and I guess most 18 year olds are considered adults <laughs> anyway, and you learn something new and it's so integral to your success in whatever it is you're doing, uh, you, you tend to grab a hold of that real tight and feel like it's, it's a core skill set, And so, um, I think that's why we have such an emphasis on it. One of the many reasons we have such an emphasis on it. When you were transitioning from playing to coaching, what was either the hardest thing or the biggest misconception that you had as a player being coached to when you were actually coaching? That's a great question. Um, I'm thinking back to Edmond Memorial High School because that was my first job uh, out of college. And um, ironically, we were in – a half six-on-six schedule. It was crazy. It was when Oklahoma was just transitioning from high school girls basketball being six-on-six to to five-on-five. And so I was like in this time warp of, oh, my heavens, now (laughs) there's only three people here. Well, I don't even know what to tell them. Um, It was a very uh, strange time for the sport and and to be coaching the sport. Um, But I, I remember understanding at that 
level how important a fundamental skill set is. Players have to be able to dribble, pass, catch, and shoot. All players have to be able to dribble, pass, catch, and shoot, regardless of their position on the floor, regardless of their role on the team. And as a high school coach, you get what you get and you got them. And so some of them can't dribble, and you have to teach them to dribble. And many of them can't shoot, and you have to teach them to shoot. And so um, that process, I, I felt like I was so prepared for that process because of my experience at Oklahoma Christian and the whole cage camp movement where every summer that's what we did. We taught kids how to dribble, pass, catch, and shoot. And uh, it seemed like a very seamless uh, transition for me to move from a player to a coach because of those experiences that I had there. Really good stuff from Coach Cole. I love, I mean, you can just sense her passion for the game. She goes home, watches basketball. She lives, eats, breathes, hoops. It's really, really awesome to hear, especially, I mean, she's been coaching for some time now, Jess. Yeah, and, and you know, kind of like what you said, it, it started as a young kid just wanting to be in the gym all the time, working on her shot, getting better, and that instant gratification when you you see yourself getting better and you realize and understand you're getting better, that knowledge and that thirst for this game and wanting to constantly get better has not gone away. It's only intensified since she first picked up a basketball. So, yeah, I thought that was really cool, just all the ins and outs of just her kind of getting into this and the people that you know she turns to and have inspired her. I think that's always really fun to hear. So, um, you know, speaking of that, uh, another uh, awesome, awesome coach here on campus, Patty Gasso, back-to-back defending national champs, uh, entering her 24th season um, here at the university. And, um, you know, again, I think she's got some really cool background stories that people are going to be really interested to hear. And definitely things that we didn't know. I mean, she touches on her relationship with Bob Stoops and how he's impacted her and how he shows up for their games. You know, football is such a prominent sport down here, as it should be, and it should get the attention it does. But he, his support for the softball program is really, really cool. Yeah, and let's take it all the way back to even how she even first found an inspiration and a love for the sport in the first place. So we're sitting in Coach Gasso's office right now as we speak, and I love the decorations of your office. We're sitting on these really cool stools that apparently your assistants don't like, but tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the decorations of your office well i just wanted to make this a comfortable place but it's also when recruits come in that you kind of showcase there's a lot of pictures on the wall so it's just kind of embracing and celebrating all of the great things that have happened over the past 24 years so this first podcast, um, we have you and Coach uh, Cole on and Coach Kendler, and we're kind of going back about, you know, the way that you guys have inspired so many young women. Um, you know, who are kind of the people that maybe inspired you? So when you're growing up and you're playing, you know, softball and, and all these sports, and who are kind of the coaches that maybe triggered this interest in you to maybe one day become a coach yourself? Well, I think it's probably usually the obvious answer you could expect. And for me, it was my mother. And my mother um, actually was a single mom with three kids trying to work a couple jobs to make ends meet. And the one connection that 
the bo both her and I had was sport and listening. I learned a lot on the right listening to the radio. So it was old transistors and we would listen to the Dodger games. And to me, that's where I really learned about the game is listening and letting my mind create and imagine what I was seeing. But my mom was my coach when I was young. And back then women weren't coaching, let alone even playing. So it was a big deal for me to see my mom run from work, get there as quick as she can. So she would, she was a secretary kind of a running out in her skirt and her cat <laughs> glasses and her heels and getting out on the field because she didn't want to waste any time. And let alone, I lived right next door to a park. So our house opened up, my back gate opened up to the park. So my mom uh, would get over there and start working with us. And I thought, man, this is pretty cool that a woman is doing this, let alone your own mom. Right. And uh, I think that I knew at that point, this is a direction that I would want to go. So what age did you get started in it? Well, I was about seven, and I, I'll always remember that. My mom was the coach, but they were kids that were 10 and 11, and she lied about my age. So back <laughs> then, no one checked. They just, you know. So I was able to start playing in, um, at a young age, but my memories were not having coaches as much as more the sandlot feeling mm -hmm. of getting out there and a bunch of your friends after school, you just meet, you meet there and you just play and you learn and you play and you learn from each other. And I was kind of the one that they would go to, what are the, what are we going to use for bases? What are the rules? What are the teams? <laughs> and that's really, I was a shy and I kind of still am in my own way until I, I get out on the field. I, um, I learned leadership that way. I learned I was very comfortable on the field and being vocal, but off the field I was quite different. Wow. So when you say Sandlot, did you ever uh, hit a ball over a fence and have to get it for a, a dog? Well, if we <laughs> hit it over the fence, it was usually over my fence into <laughs> my backyard. So um, we, no, I mean, it, nah, it wasn't, we had nice little diamonds back then, so it wasn't like a all grass. We were pretty fortunate to have an actual park with with fields to play on. So you were a shortstop? I was. So obviously your teams are known for being these defensive powerhouses and you're known for taking a lot of pride in, in the defense that your teams play. So when did that develop? When did you become this person that was so kind of you know, um, concerned about the defense that your teams play? I, no matter what they say, I always, and I know pitchers win championships, but I believe defense <laughs> wins championships uh, I, in any sport. I do. So, but also I was good at defense. I was better defender than hitter. So that's <laughs> probably why I liked it so much or had uh, so much desire to want to have great defensive teams and back in the days you had elite pitchers that threw from 40 feet so nobody was hitting the ball so you needed good defense and games were won one to zero mm -hmm. two to one because offense was still new to young people or, or we did there weren't a lot of hitting coaches now you see the difference in offense and that's just through 
being taught. Back then, we weren't taught. It was just see it. That This was your teaching. See it and hit it. <laughs> Keep your eye on the ball. Like all of the <laughs> things you, you know, you hear that just generic statements that's how you learned how to hit so defense was something that could really win games for you back then but I still believe it's relevant now when did you realize that softball was not just going to be a part of your life and after school activity but it was going to be your life and you were going to continue on playing and then continue to coach I think when I started to figure out that women were coaching in college and when I was in high school is when I started to understand that. So to me, one of my favorite um, coaches that really helped me a lot, Margie Wright, Sue Enquist. Um, I thought back in the day, um, Linda Wells at Arizona State. There were a lot of strong women out there coaching, and I'm like, man, it's happening. Like, women are coaching in college, and I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I wasn't like, ooh, I want to go to college. I want to, I want to coach in college. It was, I want to be a high school coach and a teacher. And I was for quite a while. And then I realized that I was starting to, something internally was saying, could you do this at another level? And then I started to explore that a little bit. So at what point did you realize, okay, that that next level was, you're ready for that? I went from high school, I started to get a little bit um, challenged personally, professionally, but also I could see the change in young, in students. And it wasn't easy to teach anymore like it used to be. So I went to the junior college, Long Beach City College, and really enjoyed that because the junior college is the area where kids get left behind. Mm -hmm. And I'm always for the underdog and wanting to help dreams come true however I can help. But I started getting kind of bored there as well. Not bored, but knowing professionally that there was something more. And I went out to the College World Series and would watch it in Oklahoma City back in the early 90s. And there was maybe 2,000 people there. And I'm like, wow, this is the biggest (laughs) crowd I've ever seen. This is unbelievable. This is amazing. And literally said, I wonder if, if... if Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, if an Oklahoma school could get into the World Series, I wonder how many more people. I mean, and wow. I knew nothing about Oklahoma back then. I knew nothing. I just thought, wow, it'd be kind of cool if one of the locals, would the people come out? You know, it's it's so ironic. And um, it's a, it really, it's a God thing to me that he led me here for this reason. You've talked a lot about the women that have influenced your life and you getting into this profession, but I know you were also very close to Coach Stoops, and mm-hmm. he obviously retired this year. But can you just kind of you know talk about what that relationship was like for you guys? I know you bounced things off of him and, mm-hmm. and vice versa, and he was very supportive of your program. How big that was for you mm-hmm. when you came here to Oklahoma, or when he came, you were already here. Well, it's no offense to other football coaches that we've had in the past, but it was very hard, you know, in the recruiting, it really, the atmosphere of football and the, the whole atmosphere of the campus and the city on football weekend is huge for us in recruiting. And when, when I use football coaches to help us, it's not for the players because they don't have any idea. It's for the dads, and that's a big <laughs> deal. So, um, Know your audience. Yeah. <laughs> I've, had, I've had some, um, s- some coaches that weren't really open to want to help, 
But what I love about Coach Stoops is just he's such he's just a such a cool guy. Like he's just his style, everything about him, kind of a John Wayne style. Um, like a, I would think of him as like a man's man, you know. <laughs> but he was always knowing what was going on with our team, which blew my mind. And he would come out to games. He threw out first pitches. He'd come talk to the athletes. He would allow us to go into his office and bring recruits in. And he'd spend 15 minutes talking with these young players and their parents. He'd take us, tour us through. I mean, he went above and beyond. And for a football coach to have that kind of humility, yet understand that this is a university um, of all sports, not just we're the king and you're all below us. He always made me feel like I was on his level, although I knew I wasn't. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just so appreciated him making the effort to to make us feel important. And through that, we created a just a bounce. He gave me some great, 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 great advice, and I will forever be grateful for it. That's awesome. I'm curious to know, when you look at players, you can always kind of tell when they're getting better, whether it's stats or they're bigger, faster, stronger. I read something recently that kind of said, well, based off your record, you are one of the top coaches in the nation, to no one's surprise. But how do you grow as a coach? Like, how do you keep moving forward? I think for me, a big change in my life, coaching-wise, was probably around the 2012, 2011, 2012 that's when we um, played Alabama and we lost the whole rain thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned that instead of being bitter and angry, that I embrace these moments and teach our players through them. And I learned a lot that way. Uh, but I also learned that this is a different generation and I need to meet them halfway versus come over to my side. This is how it is. I think the Bobby Knight days of coaching are over with this generation. So uh, I went back to more of a player's coach where I'm very comfortable. They know about me. I can be myself. Um, but that's where I've really grown is to learn that connection with them and this generation is extremely important and to listen to them because they have very good ideas. So anytime we do things, it's an all-inclusive game plan. It's an all-inclusive um, our decisions are inclusive. It's not do what I say because I said it. And I really have enjoyed coaching that way. The coolest thing that I learned in that, and, you know, I've covered this program very closely for the last five years, but, you know, I've heard her talk a lot about her mom and the inspiration that, and, you know, growing up as, as a single mom, you know, how important that was in, in her life. But to hear that her mom would run home from her job in high heels and her skirt and her cat glasses and run right to the field because she didn't want to waste any time. I thought that was awesome. The Sandlot reference was one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, again, more more kind of inside, um, behind-the-scenes stories that um, I don't know if you'll – You'll hear very often, so we're excited to bring that to you. And uh, another kind of um, kind of cool journey to Oklahoma is also KJ Kindler. Absolutely, and I kind of opened up this interview with a question I honestly really do get from the gymnastics world, and we'll let you uh, we'll take it from there. I was a 
collegiate athlete. I was a gymnast at Iowa State. You went to Iowa State. You coached at Iowa State. And I'm friends with a ton of former teammates from club, from college. And the first question they always give me is, what is KJ Kindler actually like? Second one is, what is OU doing that we're not because they're dominating the NCAA? But we want to go into the first question. What is KJ Kindler actually like? So first and foremost, how did you kind of get into the sport of gymnastics? From, from a very young age, uh, my, my parents, we have six kids in our family, and I'm the eldest. And so um, basically by the time I was five, there were four kids in the house. So my mom was having a child every year. And they started us in, you know, just recreational gymnastics in the basement of a woman's house. And I did baton mostly. And then the coach went to my mom and said, you know, She's not very good at baton, <laughs> and she really likes to tumble. I think you should put her in our tumbling class instead of baton. So you never had the flames going on? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, darn. I, I, don't, I think I could still twirl once around, <laughs> but <clears throat> no. So uh, that's kind of how it all started, and her name was Mary Jane Olson, and she was actually a college coach at Hamlin University, a Division Three school. And so that's where I started my gymnastics. She moved from underneath her home to into the college gym, which is where I trained. So I was actually training around college athletes all the time. And uh, they were D3. They weren't on scholarship. They just loved the sport and were go. And I idolized them, you know, as I grew up. So that's how I got started in the sport. And you have... A crazy story. You went to Iowa State as a walk-on, took on two jobs while you were still not even on scholarship. You eventually won a scholarship, but man, what was that like? Because you you think about the demands of just being a college athlete, but then here you are having to help pay your way through school. I mean, how challenging was that for you, and how much did that help you grow as a person at the time? Well, it's a it's a funny story because Mary Jane, who I mentioned, my coach, when it came time to go to college, she wanted me to go to Hamlin University. And she actually wrote me a letter um, saying that she felt like Hamlin was the place for her and that Division One was too hard for me. And when she did that, <laughs> it motivated me from, like, <laughs> the bottom of my feet. So um, that's why I chose Iowa State. I also knew the coach, had met the coach there, and really we really clicked. So that's why I chose there. But um, I wasn't offered a scholarship, as you mentioned. I was just, you know going to give it my all. And there were seven of us in our class. Um, actually, it was interesting. One of my uh, teammates that was in my class just judged our Georgia meet. Wow. was our judge out on it's the a floor. Small world. <laughs> I gave her a little wink, but <laughs> <laughs> that's about all I'm allowed to do. But um, so, so yeah, I had to work really hard. I had to earn um, everything. You know, my family was one that was like, bye. You know, we have these other five kids we're taking care of. Good luck and uh, figure it out. So that's what I did. You know, I worked, I, I coached at the club there, and I just worked really hard, and, and my goal was to be an all-arounder, and I was that first year, and then I became the first one to ever make regionals at Iowa State as an individual that year, not on scholarship. And then I earned um, a partial scholarship the next year, and then a full m by my junior year. So that's kind of how that went. But back then, we only had six scholarships in women's gymnastics. So, you know, you could divide them up, and that's what, he, that's what our coach was mm -hmm. doing, trying to give everybody a little love and divide it up. Not very many of those athletes were ever on full ride. What was your biggest doubt? Because 
right after you graduated, you moved into the assistant coaching role at Iowa State. So you're essentially coaching your old team. Mm-hmm. What was your biggest doubts and concerns taking that job? I didn't have any. I, I had a good rapport with all of my teammates. I had been coaching club all the way up, and the head coach, unbeknownst to me, was kind of grooming me for the position. He had taught me all these things in the fall, and, and it's very odd, as you would know, for a collegiate coach to resign in the middle of a season, and he did. He, re- he resigned in December, which almost guaranteed me a position, really, and the assistant coach moved to head coach. And Because what else are you going to do in the middle of the season? You know, you're not going to run out and find a head coach. It really gave us the opportunity to show what we could do um, and kind of earn that job. So I didn't have any reservations. I got along great with everybody. They all respected me, I think, and and so there was not ever an issue. You know, probably this isn't okay, but I lived with one of the (laughs) athletes because she was a friend of mine. Like, I was living with her. So, yeah, it's just I'm sure, you know, back in those days they didn't keep track of those things. But um, we were all very close. But at the same time, I – um, I had educated myself. I had learned a lot, and I was super passionate. So I just kind of just went, you know, did it. I think I remember you saying that, you know, originally going into college, coaching was not on your radar. You you were wanted to be some t- type of creative type, a journalist, a writer, something like that. So at what point did that kind of flip switch where you thought, okay, I this is something that I can do and, and do well? Well, I loved coaching the little ones in the club. Like, I knew that was – I was super passionate about that. We – you know, and, of course, developing race relationships with those kids and their parents and, and watching them come along and progress, that's – you know, that's my high. That's exciting. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just – I would say I, I knew I wanted to be a coach once I was one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think that I, I knew before I got the job. I was Which like, un- I graduated. I have a job. Yay! <laughs> yeah, and that's I don't kind have of to unlike. eat SpaghettiOs. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. But I was just, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's kind of unlike a lot of coaches mm-hmm. where they know their whole life, like, this is what I want to do. And you had all these different kinds of ideas and dreams for what you could do. You ha- you were motivated, motivated and kind of enjoyed a lot of different things, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think... You know, timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And in my life, timing has been everything mm-hmm. from going to Iowa State, from getting that first job, from becoming the head coach at Iowa State, and to getting the opportunity here at Oklahoma. Timing has been everything. Timing off just a hair, and I, I might not be here. What was the moment when you realized, like, hey, I'm actually a pretty good coach? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Uh, it definitely wasn't, you know, a- as an assistant coach, I, I was always very proud of, I-, I actually did vault and floor. And when I came to Oklahoma, I started beam, but I helped with beam a little bit. But vault and floor, I love doing floor. I love doing floor routines, d- coaching no. tumbling. Yes. <laughs> Would have never guessed. Coaching tumbling. I love doing that. And I was the vault coach and Lou helped me out a little bit. Cause, and, but I spotted everything and, and a lot of, a lot of female coaches don't spot everything. I spotted everything. I could spot everything on floor, everything on vault, you name it. I could spot bars, whatever. And that was part of it. Like, I felt like I needed to be a full-rounded coach, not just someone who gives corrections and, you know, makes up dance. I wanted to be able to do the muscle part of it, too. I don't think that men can only do the muscle part. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I just plugged away at it. 
So I always think it's interesting to talk to coaches about maybe other coaches that you kind of bounce things off of or you kind of relate to within your sport or even outside of your sport. Who are some of those people that you kind of rely on to rely on for advice? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, honestly, if I'm in a pickle or I have a situation where I'm, I really need some advice, I'll call anybody, anybody that I think would have a good answer or good feedback for me. I, I would call, um, Kim, Kim is definitely somebody that I bounce ideas off of. And Kim was one of my athletes at Iowa state. She was an assistant coach at Iowa state, head coach at Illinois, now head coach at NC state. I definitely bounce things off her a little bit. Um, but I think I'm, I might be that person for her. She called me and <laughs> asked for my advice. And it's always really easy to give advice to other people, you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, this is what I would do, you know? But um, to, to get advice, I, I don't know. I've called lots of people, you know, the best coaches in the country. I feel like I have a good rapport with most anybody. Um, and different situations warrant different advice from different people. If I had, you know, something creative or something about um, – I've, I've talked to Val before. I've talked to Dana before. I, um, I've definitely hit pretty much everyone, I would say, in the NCAA. Um, but I feel like a little bit more of a mentor right now. I have some young coaches calling me, and I really enjoy it. I love it. I think um, it's kind of fun to give them my insight and my experience. You know, they're just in their first or second year. So I've been through what they're going through. And um, – it's nice to have another perspective. And you have a good rapport with the coaches here. Like when we walked in to do this podcast today, Coach Van Ottegum is in here, the track and field head coach. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of cool that, um, you know, the way that you guys all kind of interact here at Oklahoma, you've got some, some of the best coaches in the country. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely pick Patty's brain a lot. Um, I've met with her lots of times, and um, I just like watching her and, and what she does. Um, I've definitely talked to Sherry before here. I mean, on, on campus, we all kind of – if we have an issue or we have a question or we have a problem, I feel comfortable going to pretty much any coach here at Oklahoma. I've always read when you were first hired here at Oklahoma that you had this vision and you were telling Josie what this vision was. Obviously, you've put it into motion because you've won a handful of national titles, but what was that vision if you can put it into words? Yeah, well, you know, I was very bold on my interview. <laughs> I also read because that. that's yes. how you get the job. Because that's how you get the job. And I was very, I was very confident. And and he point blank just asked, well, like, what do you, what do you want to do here? Why do you want this job? What do you want to do here? And I just said, well, we're going to win a national championship, you know. And so um, the the vision. I, Honestly, I didn't know 100% what I was walking into because you don't know what the culture's like until you get here. You haven't met the athletes and, and really worked with them. You don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. So that is a totally different animal. But I knew, and, and I had made a list with Lou, of schools that I felt could win a national championship that were not doing it. And that was our list of where we would look if something opened up. And Oklahoma was on that list because of the resources, because of um, the amazing tradition here. Uh, obviously, gymnastics was good, but had never gone to that next level. And we really thought it could. So the two biggest things I learned in this last 10 minutes... <laughs> KJ Kindler was a baton twirler, and her, her college food of choice was SpaghettiOs, not ramen noodles. Really important takeaways from this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot thank 
KJ Kindler, Patty Gasso, and Sherry Cole enough for signing up to be a part of this first one. They seem to be pretty excited and open about this, and um, they always seem to enjoy having a platform where they can talk about things outside of you know the realm of what they're actually hands in all the time with with the team and the X's and O's. So we can't thank them enough for being involved, and uh, we're looking forward to getting to involve them even more with this podcast later on. We've got some great ideas coming up that we're going to get to take you behind the scenes on some cool things with them and their programs. So I think people will be interested to to stick around and hear from them even more than just this little bit that they got to hear today. And we have different subjects. We will talk to KJ Kindler about how she finds the inspiration for floor routines, for her leotards, and then we talk to Sherry Cole for the Play for K game. That's all coming up in the next couple weeks. You're definitely going to want to subscribe, download, and listen. Yes, so you can find us on iTunes if you search the Oklahoma Sooners podcast. Uh, Subscribe to us, um, and then also right here on um, Soonersports.com, Soonersports.tv. Find us on social media. We've got some fun social media stuff that we've got planned. Um, We're going to be trying to figure out the boomerang on Instagram. If anybody could could let us know the the best way to break down the perfect boomerang, (laughs) I'd be so anxious to hear that. We spent Um, way too long on it this morning. Well, we've got some fun pictures that we have, and then we're going to be trying to cut up a little bit of this. And and so stick with us on social media again, at Jessica Cootie, at Meg underscore underscore McDonald. Uh, Find us at OU on the air, at OU underscore athletics. We'll just follow us. We'll we'll point you to the right direction. We'll 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 try not to be obnoxious about it. But no, got cannot thank Chris Plank enough for uh, helping us out, getting this thing rolling. He was uh, probably our number one supporter when we started kind of throwing this idea around. So we can't thank him enough for uh, letting us uh, get involved with the Sooner Sports podcast and everything that he's doing. He's kind of basically been our producer. <laughs> so we appreciate everybody. Uh, everybody always gives a shout out to their producer. So we have to make sure we give Chris Plank a, a shout out because he's been just huge in this. And obviously Brandon Meyer, the boss man, gave us yes. the go ahead. And he seems pretty excited about it. And we can't thank him enough for helping us get this launched and give us this opportunity. Yeah, and he's always been very open about finding new avenues to reach our fans, the OU fans, and reaching out and, you know, whether that be Facebook Live or, you know, the social media aspect of it and now here on this podcast. So we're, we're super grateful to him and Tori Kukowski, um, our director of digital media here at OU. He's also been um, very supportive in helping us get this out and, and getting this going as well. So there are lots of people, lots of people involved with this, and uh, we can't thank them enough, and we're super, super super excited. I don't know if we had six viewers at the beginning of this. I don't know. I really hope we have three still. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I honestly know my mom will listen to this. So there's one. My brothers might listen to the first interview. I'm not even entirely sure. Well, and if I could get my aunt going on a podcast, I know she'll be our number one (laughs) listener. She probably will take the place of your mom, but I'm just not sure if she's a podcast fan yet, but I will get her going on that. What's your aunt's name? Annie Nett. Annie Nett. Yes, yes. Great, great lady. So, again, thanks to everyone that's helping us out with this. We're excited. Um, You know, contact us again with anything and everything. You have um, feedback, questions, whatever you have. We appreciate you listening. She's Meg McDonald. I'm Jessica Cootie. Tune in next Wednesday. We'll have another episode coming up here on the Sooner Sports Podcast. Bye. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air.
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.